You can, you can find about anything you want to know just by asking Siri, but don't ask her about love because she'll mess you up. It is not a feeling. It is not a feeling. Feelings come and go. Love needs to be a commitment. I just, I just had to straighten her out because she's way off there on that one. If you think love's a feeling, I, I, I want to wait and see how many marriages you go through. Because you're going to feel in love. My wife and I feel out of love often. I'm not going to tell you how often, but often. It's a feeling. When she makes me happy, I feel in love. When she doesn't make me happy, I don't feel in love. I feel angry. How many know what I'm talking about? It's not a feeling. But that's the common way Americans define love. I, oh, I... I fell in love. Yeah, well, tomorrow you'll feel different. So that's not, that's not a standard. That'll mess you up every time. So we're going we're, uh, we're to talk today about what is love. Tonight, we're going to discover who's the best football team. But this morning, we're going to discover what is love, one aspect of it. There's several aspects of it. As Pastor Adam shared last week, we, we have one word for love in English. We love hamburgers and we love our wives. We love our dogs. Love is a, is a many-sided thing. Uh, we mentioned that the Greek word storge is a, is a word that defines familial love, like a mother's love for her child. No matter what the child does, no matter how much of a mess they make, she still loves them. It's, it's family. It's in the family. You don't just send them off when you get tired of them. It's in the family. That's storge. Then agape is God's love for us. Totally unconditional. He loves us for no reason. We don't know why. And that's the love that we're supposed to have for one another. But today I want to talk about phileo love. Phileo means brotherly love. We're in this together. We're a band of brothers. We've got this affinity. We've got this commonality. We love one another, phileo love. It's not agape love, although agape love is another dimension of that. Phileo is the relationship we have with one another. So I want to talk about that. And, and uh, the scripture I want to use is found in 1 Samuel chapter 22. There's three verses that talk about the men that came to join David's team. His, it's, they're called the mighty men. So I want to talk about the mighty men that gathered around David because that is a type of the disciples that gathered around Jesus. And I hope this morning that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ because I am. And so we want to talk about that relationship because David is a type of Jesus Christ. King Saul who is out to kill him, is a type of Satan. And his mighty men are a type of the church today. So I, wanna, I want us to look at these aspects. These, there's three different types of people that came to him that joined his mighty men team. Uh, the first one, I'm in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1. It says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. 
So the first followers that David had were his family, his brothers, who were also warriors, young men. And he also had his father's household, which could be all the servants that his father had. You see, when King Saul declared war on David, that put his whole household in jeopardy. All his brothers, they all could come under attack. So they had to flee. They had to leave everything. Probably had their land confiscated. And they had to run someplace because King Saul would like to take out the whole family line. So they came to join David, his family. So I'd like to, to describe this, what we're talking about here, about this, the mighty men, this phileo love, this brotherhood love that they had, uh, using this scripture and applying it to the church, you and I, and the relationship that we should have for one another. It's the phileo, it's the brotherly love, this, this feeling like soldiers have when they're in combat. It's a feeling when what people have when you go on a mission trip and you experience something together and you have this camaraderie. It's experience that I had as a young man at Boy Scout camp when I went away from my home for the first time, spent a whole week with a bunch of other boys like me. It was an experience I had. Some of you had that at church camp. Phileo, kinship brotherhood. So the first thing I want us to see here is that church ought to be like the family room. Have a family room at your house? We do. It's downstairs. That's where the family room is. We've got a pool table down there, air hockey table, and we have a Wii. Anybody else got a Wii at your house? Electronic, electronic gaming system, and the kids just love to play on the Wii. I've tried to play with them, but they always beat me, so I don't play anymore. <laughs> you see, we are family. We have a history together. What puts us together is that we have the same Father, Father God. He's redeemed us and adopted us into his family. So we're brothers and sisters. Sometimes at a family reunion, I don't even know the people there. They're my cousins, but I don't even know them. Didn't grow up with them, didn't relate to them, but they're my they're my relatives. Get together. It's family. When you come together here this morning in God's house, you may not know some of the people that are here, but you need to know we got the same father. So we're relatives. We're in this together. We have a shared experience. We once was blind, but now we can see. Once was lost, but now I'm found. We have that commonality here among us. And when the family comes together at a family reunion, you know, just like this in every family, you got a weird Uncle Harold. <laughs> Probably has a different name, but how many have a weird Uncle Harold? It's just something strange. Or maybe it's the mysterious Aunt Martha. You know, she knows everything about everybody. She's into all the gossip. Everybody's got family like this. When you come together for a family reunion, not everybody's just like you. People vote different on election day. People go to different churches. People have different ideas. That's family. We're not all the same. And here in the church of Jesus Christ, we're not all the same. 
It's okay. That's good. It good. It's good that God reaches different kinds of people, and that's the strength we have in the church of Jesus Christ, that we're different. Amen. We don't have to all think the same. We don't have to all act the same. We're headed for a common destination. Everything else is different because we're to reach a lost world that is different. Not just one little type of person, but everybody in this world. So in the in the family room at my house, that's where, that's where the grandkids all interact with one another and play and have fun. It's the family room. This is the family room of the church of Jesus Christ. This is where the body of Christ comes together and we interact with one another. And one of the ways we best do that is to get in small connection groups. That's why we've we, we work hard at setting it up for you to have relationships with one another, have, have the reunion, grow with one another. We work hard at putting these small group systems together. And now we're ready to launch them, kick them off, get them going. But if nobody gets into those groups, we've put a lot of work into nothing. So how do I connect with my brothers and sisters? How do I find out who those people are? I need to get connected in a small group someplace. And I want to I encourage you, if you don't have internet connection at your house, so you can't get in and check out and see what the groups are, I would encourage you to stop by that table because we have a printed version for you so that you can go through and look at what are the options, what are the groups that we have, which one appeals to you. They won't all appeal to you, but maybe there'll be one in there. Somebody's leading a group on a, a hobby that they have, an interest that they have, and that sounds interesting to you. So you can get in and connect with other people and find out, find out what other people are thinking in that interest that you have. So check, check that out. In, uh, in the family room, everybody's blood relatives share the DNA. And the blood is from Jesus Christ. When he shed his blood for us, he purchased, that, he purchased that separation so that we could be reunited again. So we're blood relatives in the family. And in every family, you got some sibling rivalry. I know that's true. I'm a pastor. I do funerals. I see families come together that have been splintered apart. Hard feelings from their childhood that they never got over. Still carrying hurt and pain. And they're saying goodbye to their aged parents and all of a sudden they walk in the room and they're face to face with their brothers and sisters with this broken relationship. And you can see it on their faces. You can see the strained relationship. It's that way in every family. But we're the family of God. And it's kind of sad when somebody feels like they need to leave the family of God because they got some pain going on at home and they end up blaming the pastor for it. Or they end up blaming the church for it. They leave and when you ask them why, they blame it on the church. Problem is, they got their own issues going on. Maybe I'm talking to somebody here. Don't blame God for the problems you have. Work those problems out. God's there to help you with those problems. And in the family room, because we're family, 
we all wear the same uniform. It's called the whole armor of God. And we got to get it on or he's going to wipe us out. The football teams that we're going to watch tonight, they got all kinds of armor on because they don't want to end up dead on the football field. They don't want to have broken limbs on the football field. So they wear all this armor to protect them. Same thing's true of a Christian. Do you realize that Satan is out to destroy us? This is serious business. And the average Christian has no clue. They just think it's a social place to go on Sunday morning and sing about Jesus. They don't realize we have a spiritual enemy that wants to destroy us, wants to destroy our families, destroy our businesses, destroy our dreams. We've got to get our armor on or he'll win. We don't want him to win. So filet old love looks like the family room. We're in the family room. But it also looks like the delivery room. In verse 2, 1 Samuel 22, verse 2, it tells us the next group of people that come to David. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. And he became their commander, King James Version says, his captain. He's their captain. About 400 men were with him. That's not a small group. So the second group of people that came to him were people who were in distress, in debt, discontented. Let's talk about those three things. Because probably since you're here this morning, we got this many people here. There's not 400 of us, but there's a considerable number of us here. And we're here for a reason. Why, why did we get up early, come into, come into church, get in our cars? It's still a little chilly out there in the morning. Why did we do this? Three kinds of people are attracted to David, and three kind, the same three kinds of people are attracted to Jesus. First are those in distress. Now, there's a couple definitions of the word distress. But the one used here in the original language is defined, this is how Webster defines distress. This is the number one definition. It's it's not the number one definition we think of, but it's it's a legal term. Webster defines it as seizure and detention of the goods of another as pledge or to obtain satisfaction of a claim by the sale of the goods seized. Distress is when you owe me something and you haven't paid it back, so I go to you and I confiscate your property. Either keep it for myself or I sell it to somebody else to satisfy the debt that you have. That's distress. It's a legal term. They lost everything. That's probably what happened to David's family and why they had to come to him. Has Satan beat you up? He, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his primary purpose. And I know the Bible says, I don't, did you know this, that Satan is the God of this world? And we all live in this world. So it's no wonder there's chaos in the newspaper every night. 
If you get your news from another source, there's chaos wherever you look. We live in a fallen planet. And we're going to be wiped out if we don't get our defenses up. We're the body of Christ. Phileo says, I need to watch out for you. I need to be around you because you're watching out for me. And if everybody's watching out for number one, I'm in trouble because I'm all alone. We live in a country that's watching out for itself. Number one. Very selfish. So they lost their dream. They lost their hope. So they came to David. And David did not take their distress away. He helped them deal with their distress. That's important to know. Some people think, if I come to Jesus, he's going to take all my problems away. Uh-huh. No, 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 no. Actually, he's going to add to your problems. But you can be victorious because the problems Jesus gives you make you better. The problems Satan gives you make you worse. So got to hang on to him. So here's the second kind of person, people in debt. People in debt. They owe something. They can't pay it. So they're going to end up in debtor's prison. We don't have debtor's prison today. We have bankruptcy laws so a person can have a second chance. But back then you didn't get the second chance. If you owed, you went to prison. How in the world are you ever going to pay your debt sitting in prison? But David didn't pay their debt. He satisfied it. Jesus will pay your debt spiritually. You're a sinner. Wages of sin is death. You're headed for death. You need a savior. Jesus paid that death penalty for you. He redeemed you. He stood in the gap for you. This is good news. Third kind of person are those who are discontented. And the, the Hebrew word used here doesn't just mean discontent. It has to do with spiritual discontent. Some of us in this room have spiritual discontent. You know you're saved. You know you're going to heaven. You know your sins have been paid for. But you look at the church and you look at the world around us and you see the church isn't even making a dent in the real issues. And there's something on the inside telling you, I know we could do a better job. I know the church could do a better job. We're just not making an impact in the world. We could do a better job. That's spiritual discontent. I have it. I'm not content with the church. I hope you're not content with the church. But if we're not content, how can we do a better job? That's what God's called us to do, to do a better job. I want to encourage you to join me in this effort to do a better job. And what God's called us to do. And he didn't deliver them from their discontent. He just helped them along the way. It would be wonderful if God, if God just took away all my problems, took away all my bad thoughts. But I'm old enough now. It's none of your business how old, but I'm old enough now that I've pretty much given up hope that I'm ever going to be in that place. I just have a sin nature on the inside that makes me want to do selfish things. And I need to have the Spirit of God inside of me to empower me so I can live a a positive kind of way that pleases the Lord. 
life just isn't fair. Never going to be fair. We live in a fallen planet. The, the deck is stacked against us. We need some kind of supernatural power to help us be victorious. And that comes through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit living inside of us gives us the edge so we can be victorious. Jesus attracts people who are going through hard times. The church, because we have the Spirit inside of us, attracts people who are going through hard times. If this is your first time here this morning, there was a reason you came this morning. Why in the world would you come here? Because Jesus is a magnet for you. He's trying to pull you in so that he can set you free, so that he can deliver you and empower you. I was, um, I was watching an episode of The Chosen, uh, and, and one, little, one story in that episode in season three kind of uh, stuck with me. It struck, Jesus was meeting with his disciples, and he was getting ready to send them out two by two to go out and evangelize, to heal the sick, cast out demons, set people free, preach the good news. <clears throat> and he was going to send them out. So he was pairing them up because he got 12 disciples, so he's going to have six teams of two. So he's pairing them up to send them out. And everybody's smiling at one another as they find out what their assignment is. And then he pairs up Matthew and Simon the Zealot. Pairs them up as a team. Now you need to know Matthew was a tax collector. A publican. His job was collecting money from the Jews to give it to the Romans. He's Jewish. That's a traitor. And everybody saw him as a traitor. He's, he's, he's like an extreme liberal. Simon the Zealot is an extreme radical right winger. He wants to, he's a terrorist. He wants to kill these Romans. So you got an extreme right wing person and an extreme left wing person on his team, and he recruited both of them. And then he tells them they're going to go out together. Simon the Zealot, not a happy camper. He's a publican, he's a tax collector. Jesus said, He's no more a tax collector than you are a zealot. Some of you have seen that. And then Jesus says this amazing thing. I wish, I wish he'd have said it in the Bible. But in the chosen, he says, we are not what we were. We're not what we were. Do you hear this? You used to be a zealot. He used to be a tax collector, but we are not that anymore. God has changed us. We are not that anymore. Listen, Christians should be telling our story of how God has set us free. And if you hear somebody here at New Hope tell their testimony of what the Lord has done for them, and you find out some bad thing about their past, listen, we are not what we were. Never bring it up again. 
When the Lord forgives us, we are redeemed. That part of our life is the past. It made us what we are. And in the chosen, Jesus tells Matthew and he tells Simon the Zealot, he says, your past will help you reach the lost. Your past will help you reach the lost. Your past will help you reach the lost. So don't hide it. Don't hide it. The typical thing in churches today is we want to hide our sin. We want to hide our past. We want to hide our baggage. Listen, that's made you who you are. That's a good thing. So let's go to the, uh, the third kind of person that was one of the mighty men. We, we read about it down in verse 23, the last verse in this whole chapter. The rest of the chapter talks about this guy who has an encounter with Saul, and Saul is out to kill him, so he runs and he joins uh, David. And in verse 23, David says to him, Stay with me. Don't be afraid. The man who wants to kill you is trying to kill me too. You will be safe with me. This, the third thing is this is a safe house. This is a safe house. It needs to be a safe house. The phileo, the brotherly love that we have, tells us to watch out for one another. This is a safe place to be. The one trying to destroy you is also trying to destroy me. You see, another thing that we all have in common is we all have Satan out trying to wipe us out. He wants to discourage us and dishearten us because as long as we stand together in our faith, we are a lighthouse for the lost world. What he wants to do is get us mad at the preacher, mad at some other person in the church, think that all they want is my money, so that we're not interested in participating in the thing that will set us free. All over DeKalb County, there are people who made a decision for Christ years ago at a church camp or at a vacation Bible school or at a church someplace. They made a decision for Christ, and now they're going no place. Satan drove a wedge down in their heart, separated them from the family of God. I don't want to be like that. So David makes him a promise. You'll be safe with me. How can David make a promise like that? He's not safe. He said in another place, I'm just one step away from death myself. So he can't promise. He can't promise something he can't carry off. But what he's saying is, I trust my God, and my God's got a destiny for me. He's got a plan for me. Therefore, stick with me. You stick with me, and the plan of God's going to work, be worked out. Jesus Christ said the same thing several times to his disciples. You stick with me. Stick with me. Don't, don't jump ship. Stick with me. My pastor used to say, the banana that leaves the bunch gets peeled. <laughs> don't leave the bunch. Stay connected. So, you'll be safe with me. What does safe mean? Um, first, it means you're going to be safe from outside attacks. You stay inside, you're going to be safe. Outside, you're not safe, so stay inside. Stay connected. Stay connected. When we're done with the church today, we're going to go back out into the world. Going to go back to our jobs tomorrow. Back into sometimes tense situations. 
That's okay. We need to get our batteries recharged in here. Because out there is where the battle is. And that's where the work is accomplished out there. Safety also means defense. I don't know if you knew this, uh, but during the American Revolution, all the 13 colonies, when they recognized that there was going, there's likely going to be a war, we're declaring our independence and the King of England's not going to like that, all those colonies set up what they called safety committees. Committee on Safety. It wasn't the original OSHA. They got together to defend what they have, to defend their liberties. Safety and defense goes together. So in this safe house, there's got to be some defenses set up. We've got to be defense for one another. Tonight, in the Super Bowl game, we're going to see these teams both have an offense and a defense. What's the defense's responsibility? To make sure they don't get a touchdown. To make sure they don't get through. We're going to block the way. And sometimes in the church of Jesus Christ, we have to step up and block the way for our brothers and sisters. That's phileo love. We watch out for one another. And thirdly, safety means we're surrounded. You can come in and be safe here because we're surrounded by people who defend us and protect us. One of the first things a military uh, organization does when it sets up camp is they set up a perimeter. Perimeter is just that outside defense. Inside, you're safe. Outside's not safe. So they set up this perimeter, and they've got guards all along the edge to make sure what's inside stays safe. This is the inside. Yes. Out there, it's dangerous. In here, this has got to be the safe place. And so I want to challenge every one of us to realize this place has to be defended if it's going to be a safe place. The biggest mistake the church has made is when we've, we've, we've tried to keep bad people out. It's bad people that need to be saved. So we can't keep them out. We just have to keep everybody else safe when they're coming in. When I first went to a church, I had all kinds of baggage I was working on. I've been saved, born again, filled with the Spirit. I was excited about God. And I first came to this church when it was a church of Christ because I had my eye on this young lady <laughs> right over there. That wasn't very spiritual. That's, that's the reason I first started coming here. And the rest is history. God had a plan. God had a plan. So it's got to be a safe house. We need to defend one another. When somebody comes into this church with baggage, we recognize they need Jesus. We help them find Jesus. We don't kick them out. We help them find Jesus. But I have been known to get on a telephone and tell somebody, I'm going to ask you not to come back to this church again because they were a threat to somebody else. We've got to defend we got to be protection. Would you stand with me? I'll close with this last story. Some years ago, I had a couple grandsons that were one and a half years old. That's a toddler. You know, I, I have two grandsons that are cousins, and they're one month apart. So they've grown up as best friends, uh, and the 
come to grandma and grandpa's house a lot. And this one particular day, they were outside walking around the house. Now, we lived just out of town, so we got a big yard, and they wanted to explore one and a half years old. And grandma told me it was my job to make sure they stayed safe. So I was outside watching them, and I stayed back a ways. Kept my eye on them, but I watched them walk around the house, exploring, experimenting, discovering, climbing up on things, jumping off. I watched them do it. And pretty soon, Grandma came out, and she looked at me, and she said, where are those boys? And I said, they're, they're right up there around the corner. And she said, you need to be with them. You need to watch them. You need to take care of them. I said, I got my eye on them. I'm watching. They're doing some things dumb kids do, you know, my grandsons, you mean just like me, and I'm watching them the whole time, and every now and then I would say, don't do that, get down, don't do that, she was concerned about them, she was really worried about them, because I wasn't right there with them, you see, she's a mother, mother hen, and she wants to watch out for these kids, and she doesn't want them to get hurt. She's a mother. She's a nurturer. She's a caregiver. She wants to keep them safe. She wants to keep them protected. But I'm a man. I know men need adventure. Men need a challenge. Men need a project to fix. We need this. And so I do not want to raise my grandkids or the, the inf limited influence that I have on these grandsons to be sissies. I want them to take an adventure. I want them to explore. I want them to get hurt every now and then. Because I want them to grow up to want to rescue the damsel in distress. I do not want them growing up to look for a damsel in distress that will take care of them. So my, my issue is I want them to have an adventure and discover and explore. My wife wants to keep them safe and love them. You see, we are a team. We're in partnership. Come on. Good work, Pastor. I don't like seeing a generation where men are looking for a woman to take care of them. I don't want to see that. I can't change it, but I can change it in my world. And I intend to continue trying to change it in my world. And yeah, when we work around the campfire, every now and then, one of, my, one of my grandkids will say, I got burned, I got burned. Shake it off. Walk it off. You just learned a valuable lesson. Don't grab a hold of that end of the stick. Everybody's got to learn that. This is a family. Let's mentor one another. Let's coach one another. Let's pray for one another. Let's love one another. Phileo love. We're in this together. Let's make a touchdown with our lives. Investing in other people. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing one last song. We've talked about this. Phileo love. Now we get a chance to practice it. Amen.